It's Dr. Stu's Podcast at drstuespodcast.com. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and you'll get an alert every time there's a brand new podcast. Give Dr. Stu five stars. Write him a nice review, and make sure you keep coming back to drstuespodcast.com. Click on the right there. A whole bunch of links for you, a whole bunch of blogs and interesting things. Dr. Stuart Fishbein, good to see you, my friend. Thank you, Brian. It's uh, good to see you, too. I'm uh, glad I'm here today. I'm, I'm working on two hours sleep. Uh, I did a really nice birth last night. I'm totally jazzed. What time did the baby come last night? 2.31 in the morning. Wow. Don't they all? I came at 8.26, but I was a C-section. I know that's a dirty word here at Dr. <laughs> Stu's podcast. And you know why that we were at 8.26? It's more convenient for who? The doctor. That's right, the doctor. That's it. It's that's convenient it. for the I doctor. I think about that. I never thought about that. Yes, we've talked about the peaks in C-section rates in the United States is... You know, eight As in the that morning, clock is about seven to in the morning, the and seven at night, right? Right, exactly, right. right. Hurry up, let's go and get out of here. Yeah, and speaking of uh, hurry up, let's get to our guests because I'm delighted that we have this. Our guests are with us today because we got lots of stuff. People, we've got a lot of letters from people regarding stuff that has to do with pediatrics, which, of course, Doctor Stu. Me being me doesn't know yeah, no, doesn't uh, doesn't know anything about. It. I don't like talking to me in the third and, person. And Brian Whitman never does that either. Yes, never, yes, never. I, you know, a lot of people. You know, Doctor Stu doesn't like when no, you talk about it. Br- Brian Whitman person. sort of makes me feel sort of like you know, like a Doctor Stu gets very angry yeah. when. And, that and Brian Whitman does not go for it. Okay. I know that much. We are joined by Doctor Ed Saraf, who has been practicing for ten years, five and a half years, right here in Los Angeles. He's a pediatrician right down there by Cedars, and we welcome you to Doctor Stu's podcast. Thank you very much. Now, you yeah. like to be called Doctor Ed, right? I love it. Okay, so Doctor Stu and Doctor Ed. That's right. Doctor Stu, Doctor Ed, Doctor Ed, Doctor Stu. Good thing we have one syllable names. Yeah, right. It's easier for me. Yeah, I love do- this. Like Doctor Drew, Doctor Phil, Doctor Oz. What if what if your name is What if your name is Sydney or or uh, Barnabas. I don't think you get a TV show you or you don't get a podcast get or a, a radio podcast. show either. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> That's right. Well, Dr. Ed Saraf, it is great to see you. I know that you've known Dr. Stu for a long time. It's a pleasure to know Dr. Stu. I don't know if everyone who listens to this podcast knows how amazing he is and what a patient advocate he is. So uh, I've seen many of his patients. Uh, he does these incredible breach deliveries and you know he's a true advocate for natural deliveries yeah i think that's very well said and it's very Jesus, kind. we're gonna have to hire this guy yeah right can we get a tape of that and uh, <laughs> can we play that at the beginning of every podcast randy we can do that right oh wow that was great that was great and, thank, he, and he read you. it thank you doctor and he read it just like you wrote it which was very impressive <laughs> that's great <laughs> yeah doctor ed very rarely do we oh, have it's, it's true uh, i know it is true very rarely do we have somebody here from the dare i say <clears throat> medical establishment who wants to sort of talk about some of these issues, maybe debate some of them with Dr. Sue. So we appreciate you coming in to do this. It's very kind of you. Now, you're a pediatrician. Uh, and forgive me, a pediatrician stops seeing young people when they turn how old? What's the... Whenever I really feel like it. Oh, really? Okay. Is that it? <laughs> but, but really, it can go... Uh, depends on the pediatrician, how comfortable they are. So 18 to 21. Months, of course. No, no years. years. No, yeah. It, pediatrics is not just infants. Who's going to a pediatrician at 20? Well, uh, Schwimmer did in uh, the Friends episode. <laughs> right, David Schwimmer did. That's, <laughs> That's right. That funny. That's very funny. It, it's it's true. It's it's the comfort level. It's really pediatricians are infancy through adolescence. But how does that work with the chicks? If you're a 20 year old guy, you got like a hot girlfriend. You said, "Where are you going?" Oh, baby, I got to go to the pediatrician today. What? You have a kid? I don't. No, no. I see the pediatrician. Sort of emasculating for a guy to see a pediatrician at 20. But maybe not. It, you know, when you have a very close relationship from early on, right. many times they don't want to leave. I so, understand that. So, I, and right. it just happens that, you know, if you want to continue that relationship, it, the 
problems and complexity of different issues can change as you get older. Sure. So that's where the art of you know, maybe sending him to the next level of you know, adult care comes in. Because when a but, child hits puberty, obviously there's psychological things going on, right? Is that sort of the time in adolescence they might detach from the pediatrician and go to the MD, uh, who's the family doctor? <laughs> obviously, you're he's shaking that. his head. No, no, no really, no, isn't no, that? that really? We we are trained with adolescents. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, many times we're probably more trained to deal with adolescent issues than general doctors. I would like, say that that's true. Yeah. So there's internal medicine, there's family medicine in pediatrics. And, you know, we have lots of rotations. And again, it depends on the pediatrician. Some pediatricians love to focus on adolescent problems. Yeah. And that could be school issues, anxiety, Substance depression. Substance abuse, maybe things like that. Starts absolutely there. Well, and then the hormonal he, changes too, the, the skin changes. I mean, the physical changes that go along with that too. Yeah, but um, what, what we see more with adolescents in terms of issues is more psychological problems. It's really sad. It, it's, you know, you, people are not aware how common anxiety is yeah not just for adults and who have to work you know 80 hours a week and do well, all those other things brian and i know nothing about anxiety no 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 we're anxiety free this yes, crowd here yes. no you've stepped into an anxiety free <laughs> zone there's no neurosis here no ocd there's no ocd there's no radical depression going on here it's just sort of well, I speak for myself. I mean, I've got all of the above. Now, where did you put my pencil, by the way? I've been looking, I've been looking for it for the last 20 minutes. Yeah, did you move this microphone? That microphone moved. I used to do that at work. I had really bad OCD. And I used to sit in the radio studio back in the 90s when it was really bad with my partner on the air. And I used to literally, we were in there for four hours a morning. And I would every 10 minutes, did you move my coffee cup? Did you move my coffee cup? And at one point, he was the boss, too. He was our producer of our morning show, but he ran the station. And he said to me, you know, Brian, really, you should, uh, you know, we have a wellness guide. Why don't you go talk to a therapist about this who moved the coffee cup we, we got a radio show here today. yeah so we know anxiety is yeah. uh, running deep and certainly in a in a society where you know everything is instantaneous and and the expectations are so high and pressures are put on children they're not allowed to remain innocent they're not allowed to grow up uh without being exposed to certain things it, it just puts amazing amounts of of stress i mean i'm, I'm i would think we could ra- do an hour on ra- social ra- raising four alone, children yeah. and you know Ed, do you have kids not yet not yet okay so i mean i'm raising four children dealing with randy it's you know it's there's a lot of anxiety issues i uh, know there, there, there's a lot going on here so we're pros at this well i can I, I'm, I'm looking at your studio i can see that you've actually overcome your ocd congratulations well this is randy's studio you by the way you have no ocd ever right yeah. no nothing <laughs> but you got a whole mixed bag of other stuff right yeah he's got he's got rosacea yeah I feel, well he's working on that That looks good by the way yeah That's, it's you, getting much doing, better you're doing well with that okay so dr ed Saraf is our guest here on dr Stu's podcast we have a bunch of things to talk about dr Stu, i know wants to talk with you dr ed about the issue of vaccinations now this is this has actually become vaccinations it's sort of a hot button issue culturally in in medicine i saw a a, a, a tweet the other day, uh, rather it was a Facebook post because it was a little bit longer than a tweet from a guy who must work in healthcare. He's a listener of mine. He must work in some sort of healthcare. I, d- I don't know him personally, but uh, he wrote there that a woman came into the office with it with a newborn or a, a how old's the baby when the baby comes in for vaccinations first time around. Uh, usually, if you're following the traditional schedule, it would start at two months, two, uh, four, and six months ex- are your ex- times of yeah, except general for, recommendations. Except for the sort of thing that goes on in hospitals where. Babies are usually about an hour old where they're trying to give them hepatitis B vaccine, which we'll get into in a second. So, okay. But two months, Ed, we're going to defer to the expert in this. He said office. 
<laughs> he said, when did they did come to the office? office? I think did I did. I certainly was yeah. thinking about the office. Okay. I certainly implied yeah. the office. Yeah. So, so at home or so in the So you can't hospital. be blamed for the two-hour the two hour vaccination. Okay, so I think we have an issue here with the Hep B, so we'll get to that in just a second. But I saw the post from somebody who said uh, that a, uh, a mom came in with her baby, and this guy must be, uh, you know, I don't know if he's a, a PA or what he is, but he said, uh, mom said, oh, we don't want vaccinations. It's against our religion. We're not going to vaccinate our child. So I don't know how true this is, but he said, he said to, he said to her, well, you know, God gave you this beautiful baby. Wouldn't he want you to take as best care of the baby as you can? And she said, well, you know, it's against our religion. He said, okay, I'll give you a minute. And he left the office for five or 10 minutes. And he said, he returned to the office and he said, so how about it? And she said, okay, let's, let's give my baby the vaccinations. Well, I just read that yesterday. She converted. Yeah. in five minutes. I mean, deeply held religious beliefs. My gosh. <laughs> so wait, I mean, he just walked out and let her think. And then she changed her mind. Yeah. And that's what he wrote that he wanted to give her time to think so he said you know i'm gonna leave you for a few minutes i'll come back and he went and did something there wasn't else. like there wasn't some like pinwheel in the corner going <laughs> right and lasers were coming in there was a, he did a jedi mind trick on her <laughs> right he said he said you know what you shouldn't get those vaccinations that's she right. said no i want them so that's what happened but is it is it <laughs> is that common that we see new parents who will decline vaccinations is that I mean, i'm sure we have a difference of opinion here is it common for parents to decline vaccinations yeah and what reason Part do they give it, if they do honestly it, it depends on where you live and what you've read and who you're around. If you look at the majority of the United States, uh, people don't question it and they will vaccinate without saying what's in the vaccine, what vaccine, what is it for? So when you look at the United States as a whole, it's common for people not to say anything or just say, okay. Whereas if you're in LA or certain different areas where people read a lot and they dare want, I say are more sophisticated um, you can say whatever you want I said it okay, <laughs> okay. I said it um, you, you will then have a lot more discussion you know what is this necessary for my child you know when is it necessary is it useful what's in it what kinds of things do you do do I have a choice sort of makes when? you want to practice in Tuscaloosa I bet with all these people coming in with the 21 questions do you know if do you know if it's the same in other countries other Western European countries or, or developed countries do they have the same sort of vaccine schedules we have in the United States are they as strict as uh, as we are here uh, you know in I know have a lot of European patients mm -hmm. yeah. and they also have more to say with regards to their vaccines and when you look at Europe as a whole, they're much more integrative. Uh, different types of alternative therapies are accepted. They're discussed more. There's a lot of people who do house calls and home births are not unusual. So uh, I think people have more to say. And when they come in with their vaccine schedules, I usually tend to see a fewer, fewer vaccines than what we give. Yeah, no, I know the American Academy of Pediatrics is certainly follows the vaccine schedule. And, um, but from your reading and your continuing education, do you believe that there's any concerns that a parent should have, one, about what vaccines are mixed with, and two, whether the, getting multiple vaccines at the same time is a potential problem? So it's a, the question has many different parts. It's not a simple answer, but... I'll, I'll talk about some things and we can we get only want, it. We only want yes or no answers here. So. <laughs> yeah, we have no time. We're really <laughs> yes. on a schedule here. Yes. It's, uh, Dr. Edis, yes it's, or no, and on to the you, next you one. You go through the hottest button. <laughs> no, we're, 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 we're an HMO podcast here. You only yeah, have we have seven minutes. minutes. Right. We have seven minutes. Tell us all your problems. <laughs> we got to get out of here. we got 20 more people waiting. To, no, uh, obviously okay. the good news is yeah. we have a bunch of time for a long-form answer. Right. No, uh, well, well, let's get into it a little bit so you can you know understand some of the complexity of where vaccines fit. 
You know, when you look at vaccines, there are many components in vaccines. Uh, you, you've heard about mercury before, you know, that in the U.S. right now, thimerosal is forbidden for anyone under the age of five. You know, you heard... Forgive me, what is thimerosal? Thimerosal is like the mercury component. I see. To sort of help... In the preservative, I, I see. It's, okay. it's part of the preservatives. And there's aluminum, there's formaldehyde, there's a lot of different sub products in vaccines that cannot be taken out and potentially scare people right and definitely co sometimes concerning so when you look at vaccines as a whole you have to put it as what i call or functional medicine calls total toxic load and that is all the different things that we're exposed to it's you know i tell my families and we again our po patient population is not the typical patient population they ask a lot of questions we talk about the immune system you know i tend to have a lower risk population almost everyone breastfeeds we make sure we do every possible way so that the families are successful doing that you know we and, and we create integrative care and when we do vaccinations we you know we do homeopathy and i'll get into that you know in a little while as well uh to decrease types of side effects so a lot of people are worried about preservatives. A lot of people are worried about different components that go into vaccines. Is that really the concern? Or are the components it, and the preservatives it, it, in the injection? It can absolutely be a concern. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I can't tell you 100 so percent. But, but you have to look at, again, the picture as a whole. Um, you know, how healthy is the child? You know, do you need all the vaccines at the same time? Can you do single dose vials? which have less preservatives. Sort of stagger it out, is that the idea with that? You can stagger it out based on the personal family history and the risk factors of families. You know, so some families who tend to fly all over the world all the time because of their profession, and they have three kids, well, that, you know, that parent may want to give it at two months or three months or at four months old. Because there's more fear of, uh, of an infection or something. Well, the there's, child being there's a higher more, risk of right. catching a cold. Yeah. And a lot of the vaccines that we give, we're worried about a secondary infection, the pneumonias that come after the colds. So you can be exposed to, excuse me, certain bugs that are concerning, like pertussis or whooping cough that babies can catch directly, or you can a baby can catch a cold and now they're susceptible to bacterial infections. Mm -hmm. So it, there's a lot of vaccines. There's some that are not as concerning today. You know, Dr. Stu just touched on one. He's, he said, why do we give hepatitis B immediately two hours after birth? And is that, uh, obviously that happens in the hospital sometimes, right? That happens in the majority of hospitals around the United States. See, I didn't know that. Without, without, so, I, without really informed consent. They make it sound like it's something that's standard and that they should do it. And, and, and you know, unless you have a, uh, a, a woman who comes in with no prenatal history, no prenatal care, no records, um, the idea that a, a perfectly well healthy screened woman who's already screened negative for hepatitis is going to somehow expose their baby to hepatitis in their home or in the hospital is sort of ri ridiculous. So this is one of the big issues is that what I'd like listeners to take home from this is that this is at least one, and I hope, Dr. Ed, you can comment on this, that this is one vaccine that you can say, whoa, 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 just hold on a second. My baby's two hours old. 
doesn't need a vaccine. It seems, Dr. Ed, that you and Dr. Stu have an agreement here on the uh, expedience in administering the hepatitis, hepatitis B vaccination, I mean, two hours after birth. Is that fair to say that you agree with that, or do you have a different perspective? As long as I've known Dr. Stu, I think the biggest agreement that we have is that we want our patients to have not only informed consent, but to really understand their whole experience. That's what I get from Dr. Stu. That's, you know, I know he does a lot of high risk deliveries, but he's extremely successful in doing it. When, well, when we don't we don't use the word high risk in Dr. Okay. Stu's podcast either. <laughs> That's also right there with, um, uh, what was the other word that we didn't, we didn't use? Oh yeah, we don't courageous use deliveries. <laughs> How would you like? Yeah, whatever. Right, because your position courageous. super. Your position is those terms frighten mom, right? Is that the deal? Well, they're they're yeah they're labeling they they label. I mean, the idea that because someone is having a VBAC makes them high risk or the idea that someone was 34 and they turned 35 and now they're high risk. That's, that's crazy. Uh, it's not like the same as having true. severe preeclampsia. Well, uh, well you, you have, you I, know I'm teasing, your I'm, By the way, no, I'm, I'm giving listen, you a bit you of a You know your time. art. You know your art. You know, very few people in the United States will deliver a breech delivery vaginally. And uh, because they're not trained. Now, if you've done it a thousand times. He did it two times this week. <laughs> yeah, we had really? two this week. Really? Yeah, we're going to yeah, talk so, about it. We'll talk about it a little bit later. You know, yeah. So, so that when you're trained, a lot of people say, "Oh my God, you're a pediatrician. How could you deal with and the, young and the, kids?" By the way, the babies did live. Just so, yeah, just everything's fine, right? Yeah, no, that's yeah, so of course, you know. right. right? I had four. And they did I not get hepatitis B vaccine either. Right. right. So, so <laughs> part of it is when when you have experience and you know what you're doing. Obviously, it makes you more comfortable. Yeah, you're I, I love being a pediatrician. My babies don't talk to me when they're really, really young, right? Right. But I can translate their language. And that's the beauty of it. It's fun. You see them grow really fast, and it makes it a lot of fun. Yeah, it must be beautiful. I know we've talked with Dr. Stu in the past about encountering, whether it's in the office or you're somewhere else, and you encounter uh, now an older child who you cared for since they were born or brand new. I mean, that, ha that has to be an emotional thing. It's the best. Yeah, I bet it is the best, think, right? I, I think I have the best job. I mean, of course, being a rocker doesn't hurt. You know, that's my, my that's my next life. Rock star pediatrician. I think that's where it's right there. You know what? I I, I can't imagine that there can be anything well, more rewarding let, than that. Let really. me let me diverge for a second and ask a little bit about that because you just talked about you like to give patients more than just informed consent and informed refusal. You want to give them information. You want to be able to. You, a lot of these parents are first time parents. They have lots of questions. In the current medical model in the United States, which Brian and I have talked about many times on the podcast. How does the average pediatrician give a give a, a new couple that kind of time? You, I mean, the system is not designed for that to happen. So you and I sort of practice differently. I mean, you do home newborn visits. You, you we we love that because our patients deliver at home, and then they got to put their baby in a car seat to go to the pediatrician's office, and they don't really want to do that. And the, you know, moms want to stay home, the babies want to stay home. You're you're open to that. You're willing to come to their house, and you charge a fair price for that, as you should. But how does the average American woman, as you said, in other parts of the country who are sort of less enlightened is the word Brian used, I think. Sophisticated, Sophisticated, I think right? Um, how do they get this sort of information out of their pediatric, who has literally four minutes or six minutes to stick their head in the room? It's not easy. So there is a barrier, and this is one of the reasons I'm here, and I would love to spread the word and you know have people understand more. And I think we, all of us who practice integrative care uh, we need to do a little bit more of that because when you look at the United States as a whole, and I, I trained in Ohio, we never even talked about these things. Um, 
you know, and I, I know even in the in LA, which is one of the most progressive areas in the whole country when it comes down to people asking a lot of questions, many offices and most offices, if you even say, I, you know, I don't want all the vaccines, they say, you cannot be in my office. Yeah, you we, need to leave. We, we have heard that and some of our listeners have talked to me about that as well. And that brings me to the uh, interesting sidelight to this question about the type of patients that you and I generally see. Um, why is it that when I used to work in the hospital and a midwife patient would be transferred to the hospital for, uh, into my care for, say, Pitocin and an epidural or whatever, and then they would deliver vaginally that the pediatricians were, in general, the hospital-based pediatricians, were sort of reluctant to want to care for these people. They sort of rolled their eyes when they said, oh, wait, it's somebody who's it's going to be one of those people uh, who's going to ask me questions, who isn't going to want vitamin K, who isn't, who's going to want to go home in four to six hours. That means that I have to come in. When I don't get paid to come in, I don't want to come in, so I'm going to find a reason to, to keep them overnight so that I don't have to. I mean, why do you think that, that your colleagues in the hospital, and again, nobody's, we're not trying to pick on anybody. We're just stating fact. Are sort of hesitant or reluctant to enjoy these clients as opposed to sort of, you know, rebel against them. Well, it's it's different type of practice. You have to really get into the details of everything. You know, um, you know, to understand. Don't vaccines. we deserve that though? Do we uh, deserve it? Absolutely. You don't deserve they, don't it. these people? I mean, again, what are you going to medicine for? Well, medicine doesn't pay back your student us. loans and to, and to make a living and drive a nice car uh, because doctors don't make that anymore. You don't right. do that anymore. Yeah. You and I, Ed, are never going to be rich from the, our practice of medicine. And Dr. Stu's podcast and Dr. Ed's future podcast are not going to make us rich either. Right. Well, right? not so fast. Why? No, I I'm kidding about that. <laughs> you know something I don't know? <laughs> no, it's it, it is an interesting. I mean, so, so Dr. Red, you do struggle with uh, Dr. Stewart. I do get Publishers Clearinghouse, by the way. Yeah, right. We're waiting for Ed McMahon, who, by the way, it's going to be a long way. Yeah, a long We're way. waiting for somebody to come with a check to the door. Five thousand a week. I saw a commercial for that. Win five thousand a week every week for the rest of your life. Well, all oh. you have to do to win five thousand a week for I, the rest of your you gotta life. You got to order magazine. No, you got to go on a cruise and get dysentery. Oh, is it? Yeah, that is it. Actually. Oh, it was a month. It was five thousand a month. Yeah, though, five thousand a month. Right. Well, yeah, but that, that right. is supplement your income. You heard about that. Better. You heard about that. <laughs> but Dr. Ed, so you do struggle sort of with this. Dr. Stu has sort of lamented uh, in the uh, in the dozens of times we've been here. My gosh, almost 50 times we've done the podcast here. He's sort of lamented sort of the new model and how it puts pressure on the physician, the doctor, to spend limited time with everybody because you got to get to the next person. But wow, remarkable that you do home visits, Dr. Ed. That really is, when you tell a client, a patient, someone in your care, when you say to mom and dad, I do home visits, they must look at you like you have nine heads. I mean, Dr. Sue goes to the house to deliver the baby, but you'll go and do pediatric visits at home. I, I don't know. know any other doctor who does that. Uh, you know, there's not a lot. There's, of a, few, there's a few. There's, there's not a lot. There's, there's definitely a few. And again, I think there'll eventually be a backlash with a traditional type of care because more and more people are feeling that they're not getting personalized care. They really, you know, there there is... You know, there's no secret about it. If you want, there's the overhead for offices are extremely high. The insurance companies, you know, reimburse much less. And what happens is that, you know, doctors have to see more and more patients in order it to almost an assembly line in a, ne in a negative it way. Does. Right? Yeah. And and that's that's part of the problem. And what you're seeing now is a trend of doctors who, who don't take insurance and they reimburse their patients in order to decrease their patient load and there's other models as well so 
it's, it just becomes very difficult. How do you educate a patient the, the way that you want, you know, and help them be empowered and understand not just illness, but wellness? So how do you keep your patients well? Uh, you can't. You can't in this model. You right. and again, the model that you that you and I trained with. I'm assuming. Uh, I'm assuming making an assumption is that we're trained in illness, not wellness. We we're trained to treat. We are. <laughs> yeah, Mike. Yeah. Mike up there. You know, I yeah. saw. I saw uh, to that point, doctor. Yes. If I may, very quickly. I saw. I read an article this morning that, uh, and it was a doctor, a physician who wrote it, who said we practice sick care, not health care. That's 100 percent true. I thought that was an interesting way to put it. Well, if you think about it, it's true. When you have a sinus infection, we treat the sinus infection. We don't really, many times, go to the root cause of what what's causing it. Excuse me. Um, you know, when you have high blood pressure, it's hyper, you know, hypertensive medicines. You have anxiety, anxiety medicine. You have high cholesterol, it's high cholesterol medicine. It's a very downstream model. So it's another way of thinking about it. We're waiting until you have problems. To treat the and problem. And we just put a Band-Aid on it. Yeah. Now, as you go and delve inside and try to understand what causes a problem with a person's genetics and epigenetics as well as all the environmental factors, now he gets true medicine. And that's a time-consuming makeup it's, on all of that, of course. It's very time-consuming. It can be. It could be very difficult. Treating a heart attack patient in the hospital is not that hard. They have a standard. They put the nitro. They give you the oxygen. They do your enzymes. Now, when they leave, <laughs> when they leave those two doors yeah. after the heart, now is really that's where the hard part comes. Yeah, what in. are they eating? Are they exercising? What are the environmental conditions? Well, and not only that, but also, you know, all the, the 20 years that led up to that. You right, know, when they, you never they saw go that in, they person. go in their right. annual physical exam and, you know, they get their chest x-ray, they pee in a cup, they get their blood drawn, doctor sticks a finger in where you don't want to know, <laughs> and uh, then you go home. And they call you a day or two later usually. Sometimes they'll won't call you unless there's something wrong. Most and I doctors, hate that. When I when I know my doctor doesn't call it unless there's something wrong, I hear that message and I start to freak out. Can I, let me give you yeah, an example. Well, uh, let me okay, give you an go. example of a patient that we have. I, I have a center. It's a wellness center. It has multiple different types of type of uh, practitioners. And we have a sleep center. I just saw a 44-year-old. Again, I see some adults as well who had sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. So we tested him. He had extremely high sleep apnea. He was uh, taking time bomb. His friends had told him during some vacation that he snores and he stops breathing and he wakes up. And that's what sleep apnea means very quickly. The, the person stops breathing during during the sleeping, correct? It has pauses yeah. and you don't get enough oxygenation. And this guy was a severe type of sleep apnea. So during his interview or uh, his, uh, his uh, history and physical taking, when I went over his history, it's incredible how many symptoms he had had that were just messing up his life. His energy work le level was extremely low. Fatigue, he was starting to become infertile. Maybe he was he overweight. Had, was he overweight? He was overweight. Yeah. He had palpitations. And just you know, looking into his mouth on his physical, I saw two golf ball tonsils that had he had no room in between these tonsils they were full of bacteria no they right? were just or full of tonsils not infected but just large oh massive obstructive oh. massive and that's now, of that's course obstructing the airway obviously completely me, right? i mean yeah. he had a lot of and, and he had downstream effects multiple different symptoms and i said i asked him when was your last physical he said last year you know and i said what 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 what'd you get what happened Nothing, everything was okay, and, you know, they let me go. Now, for three years, just with my hour interview, history and physical, it took an hour, mm. 
you know so it's a lot more time that i had to spend i there was like six seven diagnoses and his treatment was simple you know of course he would have to work on lifestyle afterwards but if you took these tonsils out you, you notice his 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 ahi his apnea score index just plummet his life at that moment had changed and then, then you work on lifestyle issues and find out personally what that person is willing to do in order to help learn about nutrition and achieve build wellness muscle. and achieve wellness. So, ultimately. so the ultimately, summation of my question about why many pediatricians, hospital based, are not happy with these type of people, uh, these type of patients that come in, is simply because their model they don't have the time uh, to deal with that. So they, so I think what happens is they start to remind them of of a life that was lost. I mean, the, the, the life, maybe the dream that they had of, of be really taking care of people and letting and having time to talk with people and they don't have it anymore. I, I find that very frustrating. In my own situation where I'm running late and I have a patient who comes in 15 minutes late and I have to be someplace and I have to cut their 45 minute appointment down to 20 minutes, I can't finish it. I, I often will say, can you come back? Because I, I, I don't want to cut corners. And luckily in our model, we don't have to. And that's why it's great to, to have pediatricians like Ed because a lot of our, our, our mamas want this type of attention and deserve it. And this is the kind of holistic care that, we, that people like Ed and I and also all the midwives and all the ancillary care, what they're called ancillary care providers are actually great care providers. You know, whether they be Eastern medicine people, naturopathic doctors, um, they don't have the overhead model, the business model that doctors have. They can spend more time with people and work on wellness, not just illness. Absolutely. Time is always a big factor. And the other thing that's, I think, very important is interest. So when, when you're, you know, when you're working on a traditional, you know, Western model, again, it, we, we talked about it being a symptom suppression type of model. Yeah, sick care rather than health care. Whereas you know, my love and my interest is much more integrated. So, you know, many times I tell my families that we're going to use food as a drug. Mm. We're gonna, when, we, when we're starting to feed the little babies, we, you know, they take certain notes. So if the babies get constipated, for example, on certain foods, we're going to use that when they have the stomach flu. Right. Or if they get diarrhea, we're going to use those foods to help with the constipation yeah. and, or with the diarrhea. So that food is definitely a drug. I want people to know that. And it could be part of your toxic load if you're not paying attention to what you're buying. And this is, again, part of the complexity of what we say total toxic load. If you're not caring and not reading labels or you're working on GMOs and you know not eating organic and enjoying the pesticides and the herbicides that are in our foods that adds to your toxic load. All right, so that's one, one. Dr. Ed Saraf. Wow, so many interesting things. We have emails, we have more issues. We want to talk about circumcision and that's a hot button issue obviously also. So will you come back and do the next podcast with us? Will you do that? Love it. Dr. Sure. Studis. Isn't it amazing how fast 30, 32 minutes goes by? Yeah. yeah it, 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 it was like, uh, it, was, it was nothing. So, well, yeah, we didn't even get to talk about the births. We didn't talk about the breaches. We, we want to talk, talk more about vitamin K. We want to talk a little bit about, about vitamin K, erythromycin in the eyes. Delayed cord delayed clamping. Delayed cord clamping. Yeah, we got, a, we got a lot of stuff. So 
you know, we're going to try to stay on track. Okay, right? we'll stay on, te- on track. We'll come back with Dr. Ed Saraf on the next part podcast. Two. Part two. Dr. Ed, part do. I'm French, you know. Yes. That. Right, okay. Thank you for oui, joining us. Wee, oui, wee. Oui. Yeah, wee, oui, wee, oui, right. Which reminds me. Yes, I, I got to yes, go into the it's room. time for a break. Right, yeah. Uh, thanks for joining us here on Dr. Stu's Podcast at drstuespodcast.com. Subscribe on iTunes. Give Dr. Stu five stars. Thank you, Thank you Ed. Dr. Ed Saraf will be back with us next time. We got to talk about more issues. We got to get to the circumcision. Ah, yeah, I don't think we're fooling our listeners any when we tell them next time is going to be in about 10 minutes. Yeah, we're going to do it like right after this. But <laughs> yeah, you won't hear We always like do two at one three time. Days. So you don't even know, yeah. know that. Yeah, dummy up, gang. Dummy up. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time on Dr. Stu's podcast with Dr. Ed. For Dr. Stuart Fishbine, I'm Brian Whitman. Thanks for joining us.